1: Hi there, and welcome to Grief is My Superpower. I'm Mark Lemon, award-winning children's author, bereavement ambassador, and your host for this podcast. Each week, I'll be interviewing incredible people that get open and honest about their own experience with grief. When I was 12 years old, my dad was murdered, and my life changed forever. I try to explore with my guests if it's possible to live a happy and fulfilled life after the death of a loved one. You can find me as Mark Lemon Official on Instagram and at the Lemon Drop Books website. For this episode, I speak with presenter, writer, and founder of Make Motherhood Diverse, Candice Brathwaite. Candice speaks to me about the death of her father and how it shaped her outlook on life. You can find Candice on Instagram as Candice Brathwaite. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment wherever you are listening to this podcast. By doing this, it will help us to reach more people in need of support at a tough time. This podcast is in support of children's bereavement charity, Winston's Wish. Okay, so as per my introduction, I am speaking to someone today that. I've been trying to get on the podcast for quite a while. Um, And due to circumstance and the way things have run, uh, we haven't been able to do it. But in a way, at this time that we're in and the pandemic and all this sort of uncertainty that we're in, we've been able to connect. And I'm very grateful and thankful to have Candice Brathwaite on the podcast. How are you?
0: Hi. Hi, Mark. Um, You know, I'll be honest, I've been better. Jeez, I've been better. I'm really, I'm really tired, I'm really anxious, this pandemic specifically, I know we'll probably talk about it in more detail, but I specifically brought up feelings that I thought I had managed and on top of, yeah, you're stuck in your house, you're trying to, you know, look after your kids and be a teacher, I'm grappling with um, uh, life's fragility again. I don't like I do not like it. I feel like I've been arrested by something that I just can't get away from. And so from an emotional standpoint it's really rocky right now to be fair. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I'm totally with you and I've been feeling it over the last couple of weeks and do you know what it's I've talked about it a couple of times recently sort of publicly I guess but it's it, it sometimes it takes somebody else to say are you alright and normally that is my wife Yeah, it's just resurfaced a load of feelings and and all these sort of, with how sort of brutal this virus is, it's all these emotions that go through your head as to, uh, and yeah, we can obviously talk about it a bit more, but in terms of grief, I I can always put myself in the worst case scenario. And uh, that's just something that's been inbuilt since I lost my dad. For the listeners and those that don't know who you are, would you be able to just give a very brief introduction as to yourself?
0: Ah, um, Candice Brathwaite, mum of two, currently living in Milton Keynes. Don't move here if you're looking for a social life, guys. But <laughs> if you're looking for green space and like for your kids to breathe fresher air, go for your life. Born and raised in Brixton, South London, and so... That that's what probably makes this move really shocking to my system. Uh, some would refer to me as a blogger, influencer. I would say all-around broadcaster, um, founder of Make Motherhood Diverse, which is an online initiative seeking for fairer representation, diversity and inclusion in the parenting industry. And soon to be debut author, um, my book, I Am Not Your Baby Mother comes out in about a month. So, yeah, that's me in a nutshell.
1: <laughs> and that is a big box you're ticking, isn't it, for yourself, that book coming out?
0: Oh, oh I mean, is it possible to, like, in, in a lot of ways, getting this book out mirrors a lot of my the feelings I have around death and grief and having to hear no or feel really, really low about something and go at it again and again and again. Um, so, yeah. And also, my dad really wanted to be a writer. And I remember him saying, you know, but as a black boy coming up in the 1970s, it just wasn't an option. And it feels really weird to be doing something that he wanted to do and almost like a gift of sorts. So, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, that just makes it extra special, doesn't it?
0: Completely, completely.
1: Yeah, incredible. Um, You know, moving on to obviously your dad and would you be able to share with the listeners about your own experience with grief, please?
0: Yeah, my dad died at the grand old age of 46 from complications from the flu. Hence why (laughs) this specific pandemic, it feels like a personal attack. I'm like, oh, are we really doing this? And obviously he died at a time where I think we... We don't. Re- we weren't really thinking about how strains or, or or versions of the flu could kill you. At the time, I was twenty and I was living in um, Naples in Italy as a an au- And I was working as an au pair just to like fund my very serious traveling habit. And I spoke to him on Wednesday. He was big on the email back then. Huge technology guy. Um, and we spoke on Wednesday. And he was like, yeah, I just feel a bit under the weather. And then the next line of communication I was having was from his work colleagues who were trying to get me to call them, which I just found so weird. And I I knew all of them because um, my dad had given me a job as an evening receptionist when I was about 15. And I'd worked at his law firm for, for until I was about 19. Um, part-time and so I knew these email addresses coming into my inbox but my instinct was to email my dad and be like oh dad I think the office has been hacked because everyone's emailing me telling me to call them and it, and it's just so weird and um, in between sending that email and it taking 10 minutes for him not to respond I just knew I couldn't piece together how, but I was like, actually, they've not been spammed. He lives with that phone in his hand. Why would it take him to... I just knew that whatever I was going to hear next was going to change my life forever. And then within the next 20 minutes, I was able to get hold of some of his family members. And he died. He'd um, driven himself to Whips Cross um, before he was on his way to an Arsenal match and he'd gone into cardiac arrest in the A&E waiting room and they tried to revive him but his internal organs had shut down and it happened really, really quickly and from what the doctor said, it, was, it, it wasn't it was a nice way to go, it was really brutal. He was struggling to breathe and he just couldn't do it and even like saying that out loud, it just blows my mind because I'm like, I, I just... I I don't get it I don't and I I I know my dad was not one to run to the doctor ever and I'm I, I'm I now deal with the annoyance I feel towards him because of that I'm like dude you said you weren't feeling great on Wednesday but to drive yourself to hospital on Friday like you were really at the lowest of the low and I I I have to work on not harboring anger for him not acting quicker but yeah it was it was really quick and I'm his only kid and so I have now had to grapple with no one else really understanding how I feel.
1: Yeah that must be hard not having someone to to talk to about it within the family the immediate family anyway.
0: Yeah no no one and my mum has not lost her she's not lost anyone of that magnitude so no one in my immediate family understands when I just go quiet or I'm having a couple of low days they just don't get it and it's a very it grief is really it's really lonely and it's really personal but I do feel like if I had a, a blood sibling from my dad it would it would make the world of difference.
1: God that happened so quick and 46 as well I mean I, I mean my dad was about 49 but you kind of you do have those thoughts of that's so young and when you get to that age as well or close to that age things are going to be you know in your mind and specifically with everything going on with you at the moment in terms of the pandemic and, and for that to be a, a flu sort of in, in a virus I completely understand why you'd have all these thoughts at the moment
0: yeah I'm I'm, I'm like you I'm very oh um I'm, I'm gonna die today like every every little and i had these these worries before this pandemic came along i think when when you meet death so young you're just rewired to always zoom in on the worst case scenario and i tell my other half papa b we call him all the time i'm like that is my protection so that when not if but when that situation comes again I want to know that because I even saw it as an option, I want to believe that because I saw it as an option, it won't take my breath away in that manner. Because before that, before, before your first encounter with grief or losing someone that close to you, you're so oblivious to life's fragility. You're just like, yeah, rock on, like go out, party, get hammered. Um, and then after that, like my all my friends who were still acting young, uh, rightfully so. I just used to get so mad at them. I was like, "Yeah, so you just went out and did all those drugs and didn't think about the fact you could overdose and die." <laughs> like, I became like the party pooper because I was just always wired to see the the end of people's lives, and that's just, that. I I I think I'm hard work because of it. Unfortunately.
1: Well, that I mean, th- th- the next question is perfect. <laughs> it's kind of like, how has it changed your outlook on life? Really, everything you just said is kind of has explained that. But I completely get everything you just say in terms of you are never going to feel the pain and loss that you you do at that moment when you're told that that person has died, and you want to, like you say, you want to try and protect yourself from feeling like that again if possible, and and you do you're constantly on this you know this sort of um treadmill of trying to protect yourself and your feelings um but yeah how do you think it's changed your outlook on life i mean you you work really hard to get where you are now and do you think that's kind of been a big driver
0: oh definitely my he he also died with his blackberry in his hand which i find hilarious um... <laughs> Which is like the greatest illustration of how much he took pride in his work. And so by nature, I'm a really hardworking person, but since he died, that heart that ethic has now been made to mate with the idea that I I never get this chance again. So I'm now super hungry. I'm I'm insatiable almost in my quest for the things I want. Or my desire to hopefully end life not fighting to hold on to it. By the time I die, I want to be like, oh God, what took you so long? It's exhausting down there. Like, I'm done with that. I, I want to be able to like just run away from clinging on to life because I think I squeezed all the juice out of it. So it from a, from a human perspective, um I'm just constantly striving I'm like cool what next what can we do where are we going let's travel you know and again that doesn't make me easy to live with because Papa B is always like Jesus do you ever pause to reflect on what you've already accomplished or the things you've overcome and I'm like no not really I am very committed to looking forward I'm not really a oh yeah, you know, let me spend a month feeling good about this book being published. I'm always like, yeah, and what's next? Because I learned really early on, you you have no idea about when your end is coming. And I don't want to feel like I've got to the end and wasted a second of my time, you know?
1: Wow, Papa B is just like Simone. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> there is that thing inside the bereaved that just drives you isn't there and I totally get everything you've just said it's kind of like how many times have I been told just to enjoy mm-hmm. what you have just done yeah. and you're just looking for that next thing and I guess it's a double-edged sword in a way isn't it it's kind of you're like right yeah maybe I should sit down someone the other day said to me look what are you going to do to celebrate that and I was like celebrate you know he messaged me the next day what did you do and I was like well I just had a beer or something like that so you do tend to forget those things but at the other end of that spectrum is the fact that you have the passion and desire to to not want to stop yeah um yeah, yeah.
0: and it is like you said it's really it is a double edged sword because um now globally we've all been put on pause and i had no idea how scared i was of stopping because then i would have to grapple with certain things and now my diary is wide open and like the only weekly commitment is my therapy sessions I'm like, oh, I don't like it here, and this is why I don't stop, because all of a sudden, all the things I don't want to deal with are really loud and really in my face, and so I also think it's a um, that go 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 that the bereaved have. It's another coping mechanism, because if you really do stop, even to just entertain the idea of celebrating something, something else that you don't want to deal with is going to come out of that. And I think for a lot of us, where there are cracks on us, like vases, if you pause, like you feel like that whole thing's going to fall apart. And when you're a parent and you've got bills to pay and you're doing all these things, like I just can't afford to be cracked open right now. Maybe once the kids have moved out. But right now, I'm just like, no, I, I have to move quickly so that I can just kind of keep all these pieces together.
1: Yeah, it's that. There's that's a big part of everything that's going on at the moment, isn't it? It's kind of you are having to just be and sit, and it's a big lesson for me as well, just to try and enjoy this moment, but also just accept that you got to sit on your bum for a bit and and uh, maybe put those ideas on hold that you want to be doing. But as is always the case, you try and think for things that you can do whilst you're sat on your bum.
0: I've been so annoyed that I haven't had a second book idea. Like every came to the house, like where is this million pound idea? Like I just don't (laughs) care. And 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 Papa B's like, wow, you really can't do this, can you? I'm like, well, no, we're at home. Surely I should be inspired. It's just not happening. (laughs) So yeah, big big lesson.
1: Okay, so thinking about the counselling which you talked about and. Mm. Did you seek much counselling after your dad died or has it been like a slow burner and now you're sort of realising that perhaps I do need to talk to to someone?
0: Yeah, absolutely no counselling. And upon reflection, I really needed it. So I've come home and within that same week, I've not even yet seen my dad's body in the chapel of rest. And personally for me, uh, especially on his teaching, I don't believe something till I see it more often than not. And so... In between that time, I was like, they've made a mistake. You know, I've not seen him yet. Like th- this could, this is a dream until you show me a body like that. Will, I will stick into that. And in that week, my mum was diagnosed as HIV positive. And by some work of the devil, I happened to sit in on her diagnosis and I, I, even now, I just can't get my head around those two blows coming within days of each other. And then beyond that, me not having counseling. Um, I, I come from a really, uh, culture heavy Caribbean background. And my grandmother on my mum's side specifically was very like, oh, people die, you know, you just got to get on with it. She could not, she didn't have a good relationship with her parents. So she could not understand why I was so worked up over in her mind, this guy dying. She's like, oh, you know, you had some good times, just move on. And I think incorrectly through her encouragement, I just tried to put a wall up. I only really started seeking therapy uh, in, say, the last two or three years And many, many, many more traumatic life altering situations have happened since that time. And so I'm kind of working through a backlog. Um, I would, you know, if there was a way or if the unfortunate were to happen, that is one of the first things I would need my children to do. Uh, I, I now... After having that experience, I'm really open, and um, with my with Esme especially who's six, like I'm really upfront about death and life cycle, and um, telling the truth. Don't not going to bed with certain things on your chest. And I, I'm I think she's already starting to believe or learn that you know, okay, there are ways that even in the worst situation, there are tools my mum my mum has given me to. Uh, get through in that moment
1: yeah I think that sort of leads me on to to two questions that I've got leading and one is I try and make my dad present in in every day and everything we do with the kids and just so his memory lives on if anything and and also like you just said there there is that sort of stigma and taboo that still is the case in this country as to talking about death and um how do you think we all tie this in together? And I think it's great that you know you you talk to Esme about that sort of thing as well.
0: Yeah. Um, how? Oh my! It's so crazy because my son's called Richard Junior after my dad, and I I for a long time I fought against that um, because I I'm like oh I don't, I don't want to give my kid this heavy name, and when he grows up, is he going to think like he has to walk in the granddad that he's never going to meet in his shadow? And then Papa B was like, No, I just think it's a it's a nice nod to your dad, do you know? And I'm glad we went with that. So, in a name sense, like Richard is present in our house every day. I see so much of my dad in my kids, their stubbornness, their hard headedness, their commitment to get in their own way. I'm like, never met this dude, but he his DNA has really come through strongly in you guys. Um, I have this little box. Because of a huge family fallout, if I've got five items of my dad's, that is a lie. Like, I'm really low on the actual tangible things. And I have this memory box that has, like, pictures and love letters he wrote to my mum. And when I'm feeling really low, I'll open up the box and Esme will sit with me. And um, and so she's, even though she's never met him, she is very um, understanding of her, who, like, Grandpa Richard is. And she's very caring about the things I have. Like I've got a teddy bear he gave me and it will often end up in their room and she would be like, oh, mum, I'm so sorry. I know your dad gave that to you. Like, here you are. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She's like really um, understanding of how those things mean so much to me. And um, she was born on the day he died. So, even in like this esoteric sense, I feel like there's this connection. And so, mm. yeah, he's, he's all over this house. He's, he's all, I always feel him around, especially when I'm debating something to do with business. Cause that would be like his favorite thing. I feel his presence so heavily. And that combined with me just speaking so frankly with my kids I think they're able to say when they feel a bit weird about something or they don't understand anything. Esme though, she's a she's she's a she's a piece of hard work because she speaks so frankly. She's like, "Oh yeah, you're feeling sad because your dad died." <laughs> <laughs> Like, there's no, there's no soft approach with that kid. But even that makes me laugh because that's exactly how my dad was. Like, there's there was no cotton wool in his speech. And I'd be like, yeah, Esme, but could we say it, like, a bit more soft? But like, she's like, oh, but I don't understand. Like, he, he's dead, isn't it? He's dead.
1: <laughs> like
0: Sometimes I feel like I've made a rug for my own back <laughs> because yeah. I do want because- him to understand that not everyone she meets, like you said, is, is going to be open to this discussion or this reality mm. because it is. And I think that it's more a taboo out of fear than anything else. You know? Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think it is, it's built like a, a disease. If they talk about it, they're going to catch it and someone's going to die or something yeah. strange like that. Yeah. Okay. So look, we're moving on to some questions from the children at Winston's Wish, a bereavement charity.
0: Yeah.
1: Um And, they would like to know, how do you make yourself feel happy when you're feeling sad?
0: Oh, I, I oh, this is an answer to children, but I have to be honest, I don't I don't I don't rush through the sadness because it is just as necessary as happiness. And so when I'm feeling sad, I'm not like, oh, how can I cheer myself up? Sometimes I just have a good cry for a few hours, even a few days. And then I, I, I slowly f- become happy, but I don't rush it. And especially with kids, I would hate for them to rush it, you know, because all those feelings are valid and you don't want to, especially as a child, bottle any of those feelings up. If for some reason you're feeling sad, like tell an adult around you, I'm feeling sad and Candice told me it's okay to just feel that way right now. I don't have to rush this. And that means when you're happy, you're even more happy because you know what it's like to not be feeling great or be playing the game you want to play or really want to go and meet your friends um because you've allowed yourself to be honest about the fact you feel a bit down?
1: No, I think that's that's perfect. It kind of you know, it starts from when you're a child and that it leads up into when you're an adult, isn't it? Because mm. what with mental health and people just need to understand that it's okay to feel that way. Yeah. Completely. Yeah.
0: Completely. Yeah.
1: Okay, so the next question is what piece of music reminds you of your dad?
0: gosh really, oh, what a great question oh he, okay so every saturday we would go to i think it was it called our price then there was a music shop i was, oh yeah yeah <laughs>
1: remember our price
0: <laughs> and we'd go like into Walthamstow Centre because he lived in Walthamstow Centre and like he'd allow me to pick a few singles, he'd pick a few singles and his musical taste was just so vast. Like he'd listen to really novelty, silly stuff. Like what was the group called? Chumba Wumba or something really silly like that. But then he'd also be major into his two pack. Um, But I think what song now if it played... Um, definitely Casey and Jojo All My Life, just because when that song came out, I I honestly wanted to take it out of the little CD player in his boot and smash it to smithereens. <laughs> Constant repeat. And I was just like, dude, if we don't go back to Busta Rhymes, dad, we're going to have a problem. Um, so yeah, if I just hear that opening piano of that song, like I freeze because... I remember him just singing that at the top of his lungs. And then after that, anything, he was such a huge Buster Rhymes fan. Um, whenever I hear a Buster Rhymes tune, I just can't help but smile because...
1: God, I like your dad's <laughs> taste in music.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and um, and he, he was just like this, he was terribly obnoxious. And he only used to drive convertibles. I don't know what his fascination was. And in the summer, he played the music so loud. And like, he'd always put me in the front seat and we'd be nodding our heads. And I remember one day um, we were driving from Brixton to Walthamstow. So we were coming over, I think it was Tower Bridge. And and he always wore Ray-Bans. And I just remember him looking at me smiling. And like, we were just proper feeling the music. So when you speak about music, that just gives me tingles because it's a very central part of our relationship, for sure.
1: Oh, I love that sort of relates to what we talked about earlier, but how do you think your grief has shaped you?
0: How has my grief shaped me? I think I was a really, um, even though I had opinions as a kid, I was raised in a culture of like be seen and not heard. And so it made me bottle things up. And then after, and I only spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, so this is fresh in my mind, but after seeing my dad in the Chapel of Rest, even though I was sad and scared and all of those really normal things, it was an almighty switch about the realisation about how this ends for all of us, all of us. We all end up looking like some malted, frozen version of ourselves in a, in a cheap wooden box. And I just thought, oh, okay, so if that is how I'm going out, I am never again gonna not say how I feel out of fear of upsetting people, or not get things off my chest, or be, a, be scared to go against the grain. So the Candy Brathwaite people see now, it it tickles me that they think, oh, you know, She's so this, she's so that. Like, this is not Maybelline. I was not born with that attitude. (laughs) (laughs) That all happened, like, post-20 years old. The Candy's Brathwaite we see now is built from pieces of that grief where I'm just like, no, mate, if I'm going to look like that or some mortician's going to, like, stuff cotton wool in my mouth to make me give a fake smile, I'm not fake smiling in life for no one. Like, I I want you to know how I felt, I want um, to die, and for people to have a very, very true idea about the human being that I was, and he didn't have a lot of friends, he just wasn't that guy, but at his funeral, it was so funny, no one walked up to that stage and was like, oh Richard was the most nicest kindest person like everyone was like nah mate if you crossed him it was a problem and it was really hard to have a conversation without swearing or the phone getting hung up on you and, even, <laughs> and it was just really funny and it felt really refreshing because it was like yeah he that was him and so through the grief of losing him it, it was an almighty reality check about how much dominion I have about showing who I really am
1: I think that's a massive lesson isn't it it's don't hold back we're here once you know what what just get it off your chest because otherwise you're going to hold that emotion in and it's going to seep into every pore and you're going to become bitter and yeah like your dad was just that person who
0: oh god completely poor people (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) okay so the next question is what do you do to remember your dad on important days like his birthday?
0: I think I just sit with my feelings. Again, my my experience of death and grief, especially of a parent is terribly rare in that like I said, a massive 4 family falling out means that I don't even know where my dad's ashes are scattered. All of that information was kept away from me. So I I, I don't I wouldn't even know where to go if I was feeling low. I have no symbolic place to go and work through my feelings so I usually just sit with myself or I I spend a lot of money on something really ridiculous just because that also is who he was and I'm just like oh I'm just I'm just gonna buy these really expensive this bag because dad would be like oh I work so hard I definitely need my 87th pair of adidas gazelles for sure <laughs> <laughs> um and so I celebrate him through getting dressed up and going out and enjoying myself because um that was very much who he was as well and it's it's been it's been it's been a wonder because I've had to learn to celebrate um him or think about him in 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 very different ways because I don't have the usual way of doing so um so yeah that's what I do I I make myself feel good. I look through old pictures. I just, I really have a laugh about some of the silly things we would do.
1: Yeah, no, I I see it as a way of, like I was saying earlier to you, I can't remember if it was on or off mic, but when you do something great, think of him mm. and just feel the drive and the love that you put into that that was coming from him also. That's how I like to kind of see it.
0: Yeah. Definitely.
1: Okay, and my final question, and one which I always like to end on, is if you could sit down with your dad for one last time, is there anything that you would like to say to him?
0: Oh, wow. You know, I'd really like to communicate that um, now that I'm a parent, I get how you're just constantly in this loop of playing pretend and i think especially in my older years i judged him far too harshly for very human mistakes because in my mind your 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 dad especially was meant to be this perfect all-knowing all-seeing person and so i actually think i'd apologize for being so so heavy with him definitely um i'd also thank him. I don't think I did that enough at all because I wasn't yet able to see how the way he was going about teaching me certain things would then have a massive impact on the woman I am. we, We didn't get that long enough together for me to be like, oh dad, you know that thing you said to me at 15, it resonates with me every single day. Um, so definitely, um, me asking for his forgiveness, and I know it's usually the other way around, but me asking for his forgiveness and definitely saying thank you, yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: It's a big one, isn't it?
0: It's a big one. Yeah, that made me go really quiet because I'm like, and actually saying it out loud, I realise it's not the things that, you know, it's not the surface things like, oh, why did you leave me? It's not that at all because the fact remains especially with our parents if they had a choice they wouldn't go anywhere that's a fact so i wouldn't waste that time going over things you can't change at some point but mm. i really like him to understand how 90% of the woman i am is definitely because i'm my father's child definitely there is more of him in me than my mum And that has been a massive bone of contention uh, for me and my mum and and my mum's side of the family as I've got older, because in heated arguments, the accusation always is, you know, oh, you're too much like your dad. And I, I, I completely see it as a brilliant thing. And I'm so thankful that I have a dad like I did, because if I... If I got two versions of my mum or my mum and someone else's character, Mark Lemon wouldn't know who Candice Brathwaite is for sure. So, <laughs> um, I'm only Candice Brathwaite because of Richard Brown.
1: Exactly. We're all made up of the DNA from yeah. who brought us into this world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, Candice, this has been amazing and I'm so glad that we've managed to finally <laughs> get together. But um, I always knew it would be an incredible conversation, and uh, and you, you'd speak uh, really well about your own story. And you know, I always say that grief is individual. We all deal with it in our own way. We talk about it in our own way. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. No,
0: thank you for having me, Mark. It was amazing. Thank you.